0: Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. about to begin, I can't wait to introduce my guest today. He's an absolute genius, badass marketing leader, thought leader, full stack and GTM and technology all just smushing together. He was actually considered or heralded as a top 40 ABM superhero by Terminus. He's actually been in a lot of flip my funnel events, great events if you've ever had a chance to go to those. He's a guest lecturer, US Marshall School of Business. My God, Casey, who do we have on today? A marketing advisor to the stars, co-founder and CEO of RevOptica, and head of growth at Mucker Capital, Tony Yang. Welcome, sir.
1: Hey, Casey. Uh, just for the record, for the listeners, I am not paying Casey to say any of that. Um, not, but, uh, yet,
0: Tony, not yet, Tony. Not yet.
1: Yeah. yeah, But thank you for the uh, the warm welcome for the generous intro. Thank you.
0: Sure, man. You know, your power tip, you can, you can clip that and make that your wake up alarm in the morning, you know, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> uh,
1: Now will get my day started for sure.
0: <laughs> exactly. So, Hey, I can't wait to learn from you. So I want to go ahead and pass you this thing. It's heavy, but I know you work out. Here it comes. Ugh, oh, okay. All right. Go ahead and grab that Thor's hammer. <laughs> okay. You got it. Okay. Ugh, okay. Take, <laughs> Doors hammer and smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception, set the record straight once and for all.
1: <laughs> okay. Hopefully I'm worthy to pick it up. Worthy enough. You
0: are worthy. <laughs>
1: okay. Well, uh, so you and I chatted a, a couple of times before actually hopping on this official show. Um, and something that's been on my mind quite a bit in the last several years is the concept of the buyer journey. So in terms of a myth, and this is what I see time and time again, even before uh, my current day job as head of growth for Mucker, which basically means I advise our portfolio companies on growth. um, One of these uh, myths that's been um, floating around, especially in the B2B marketing and sales world is uh, the notion of the the sales and marketing funnel being representative of your buyer's journey, especially in B2B or uh, the assumption that it's representative uh, of your, of your buyer's journey. And I think that is um, oftentimes not the case, Um, not to say that it's um, not something we want to strive towards, but in the application and execution of how we go to market, a lot of times there's a confusion between those two. Um, And that results in a ton of problems, um, just both from my own experience. And also as I'm working with a lot of different startups, um, particularly in their go to market.
0: What happens when you confuse the two, when you confuse the journey and the funnel?
1: Yeah, um, that's a great question. Um, To give you a quick answer, I think um, a symptom of uh, where the buyer journey in a funnel is not in alignment, uh, which is often the case, are um, low conversion rates through how you measure the funnel. Um, And so let me back up a little bit and um, let me explain what I mean by the buyer journey for our listeners. Okay. So Yeah, Um, please. I'm I'm assuming that, you know, all the listeners who've been listening to the show for a long time, had a lot of great guests, a lot of B2B uh, go-to-market experts. So the the notion of the funnel is not new um, to most of the listeners, right? There's different variations of the funnel, you know, serious decisions, introduce all these different uh, versions of it through many years, you know, but um, by and large, a lot of companies today still utilize a very similar approach in terms of defining the funnel, like MQL, marketing qualified lead, which we'll talk about in a second, uh, another kind of bit that's related to this whole concept of buyer journey, uh, but MQL, SQL, sales, qualified leads or sales accepted lead. And then you've got different stages of a a potential sales deal or opportunity. Right. Um, and that's great, um, for measuring progress, uh, in terms of a marketing, and sales process, but we cannot kind of, uh, Confuse the two between that and how your buyers are actually making decisions. In an ideal world, those two things would be aligned. Okay. Um, and, but it's not, you know, we don't live in an ideal world unless we build for it. Um, the symptoms uh, of not having the buyer journey in your funnel in alignment are low conversion rate. I'll just give you a, a quick example. Um, many companies that i worked with in the past as an in-house uh, go to market leader um and also when i do consulting or advising is uh, as an example a, a b2b saas company uh, a common um, approach is offering or or getting to a demo or some sort of a, a booked appointment or a meeting sure. right
0: um yeah get them on get them on the phone show them the product
1: exactly right and uh you know typically that's done by let's say uh an in-house SDR team or BDR team, where they go and whether they do outbound or inbound, you know, that's a whole nother set of, uh, a discussion And in myths. <laughs> we could go in a wild tangent. I got really strong opinions about that. Um, but, uh, you know, like, uh, a, a common occurrence is that I've seen when a, a meeting is booked and it's in the prospect shows up and let's just say the account executive, the AE, who's running the first discovery call or the, or the demo at the end of the call seems like it went well, you know, the prospect is engaged, uh, asked a lot of questions and, you know, was really involved in the demo process. And then at the end of the call, um, the sales rep asked, Hey, okay, what is it? Um, Sounds like it, uh, you know, this might be what you're looking for. Um, Let's set up the next step and reconvene a week from now. And then the prospect goes, okay, well, you know, it looks all very interesting, but why don't you pay me back in six months? Uh, Because we've got other things (laughs) on our plate, right? And much later. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and that happens quite a bit, you know, um, and, right. you know, I think that's an example of the buyer journey that particular buyers, uh, where they are in the buying process is not aligned with where the seller is, uh, because, mm. you know, there's a lot of things that perhaps the seller or sorry, the buyer, um, uh, may not have, uh, been convinced of, uh, certainly not urgency because otherwise why would they say, Hey, reach back out to me in six months. There's no urgency involved on the buyer's end, right? So, uh, this whole notion of the buyer's journey is, um, in my, uh, how I look at it is how did the buyers and the prospects make their decisions in their journey to evaluate solutions and ultimately buy from, from you, right? And there's a lot of different, uh, frameworks out there. If you get to know me, I'm a big frameworks guy, just because I don't like reinventing a wheel that's already been invented. Um, there's certain frameworks out there that perhaps, um, many of us may have heard of or are familiar with like data awareness, interest, desire, action, you know, the acronym. Um, I don't particularly like that one, uh, just because it's not as prescriptive as the one that I typically use. There's other ones out there. There's studies. Um, I think there's one, uh, similar type of concept around, you know, um, uh, problem-aware, solution-aware, that's part of the, uh, like a consumer decision-making process. The concept is, is exactly that. How do buyers make decisions? Uh, and it's not necessarily a linear progression per se, but it's understanding the different aspects of, uh, how they make decisions in each of those stages. Um, the one that I turn to a lot is one that was introduced by Serious Decisions, uh, many years ago before they got, uh, acquired by Garner. I think they're with Garner these days. Um, many, many years ago, I was, uh, fortunate enough to be a client of theirs, um, under the product marketing, uh, practice. And so I learned a lot of the stuff. So I'm not making any of this up. Um, I don't know if they're still, um, actively, uh, uh, teaching or, you know, advising companies with this particular framework, but I still use it to this day to teach others. Sure. Um, and it's a six stage process or six stage, um, buyer decision framework, and I won't we could go through each of them really quickly. Um, yeah, first one. Please do. Yeah. The first one is loosening the status quo. Uh, that's stage number one. And that really, to me, is about um, not selling your solution, but really convincing the buyer that the status quo needs to change, uh, either by highlighting a pain point or a challenge that uh, matters to them specifically, or, you know, in the uh, concept of, you know, cat category creation or, you know, new world, old world type of storytelling. You know, I'm a big fan of Andy Raskin. If you're familiar with this stuff, right? Like the greatest sales pitch or deck ever seen, referring to Cora, And then they did a follow on thing with, with drift, you know, uh, paint a picture of before and after, you know, current world, you live in it. It's terrible. This is what happens if you stay there. New world is much better with, you know, not, not Cora Zora. Sorry, I misspoke Zora being the subs- sure, yeah, 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 subscription yeah. management and even drip, right? Like Drift, they changed their storytelling a little bit in, in a couple of years ago, but, uh, they were all around conversational marketing, right? So, um, and they were telling the narrative of how this today, it's not about static forms, it's about prospects wanting a conversation. That's their story. That's their old new world versus the old world. Right. And so the whole concept of loosening a status quo is not selling, Hey, we are a chat bot boring. Right. Um, yeah. but the, the selling around the, the need or the, the pain point, um, or the new world. Um, and so that as a first stage of this framework that I use from serious decision, stage one, loosening the status quo stage two being, um, exploring possible solutions. And to me, that stage is about, okay, if they're convinced of the need to loosen the status quo or change their status quo, now it's about why now? Yeah. Um, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, committing to change, jumping ahead, committing to change in the second, uh, stage and committing to change just is, um, essentially around convincing them of the urgency, why now and not six months from now. Okay. Um, and, uh, so, you know, like it's all about the why these first two stages are about the why it's not about the what or the how, um, yeah. and, you know, I, I mentioned Andy Raskin as someone I, I've, uh, looked to for inspiration. Another, um, another mm-hmm. one sign and sign cynic, um, people have mixed feelings about sure. him, but he has a YouTube video, Start with right. right? Start with why the book I there's a YouTube video I watch, uh, almost every year just to, as a refresher, you know, the, the circles, right? Like, um, gets to why, yeah. like why is being in the middle, how golden, a, circles, golden circle yeah. exactly. Um, and past, I would make my teams watch it every year with me. Um, but that's about, you know, the, why, um, the, 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 the need to change and the wh- why you need to change now. And then the next stage being exploring possible solution at that point, once the buyer is convinced that the status quo needs to change, uh, because it's painful, you know, bad things are going to happen <laughs> if you want to take that approach, um, <clears throat> or, uh, you know, like here's a new world, there's, um, you know, a better place for you to be in. Um, and why now, then you start going into, okay, well, what are the ways that we can, uh, look into to solve for this deep, exploring possible solution. That's a stage three. That's when they're uh, a buyer or prospect is more receptive to very salesy call to actions, right? Like I'm sure you, you get this today and, um, and I still do, uh, messages from sellers, from SDRs, you know, mm-hmm. poor SDRs that are tasked with, you know, trying to set meetings, right? They send me messages every day. You get them too, probably on on LinkedIn saying, Hey, you know, my name is so-and-so. I work at this company. We do this. And then they maybe name drop a handful of, you know, flagship customers. And then they go straight for the kill and say, Hey, what does your uh, schedule look like tomorrow for a 30 minute call, which usually is like an hour. And, um, they're trying to qualify me, uh, and they have no notion of what it is that's on top of my mind. That's keeping me up at night right. and, uh, it, you know, it's very seller focused, right? That's the whole thing with the funnel. It's very focused from a company selling point of view. That's okay. You still need that to manage your sales process, um, and to, you know, forecast, uh, success and, you know, to, to see how you can, you know, um, hit your numbers and look for waste optimization. Sure but you can't confuse that with how your buyers are going about their decision-making process. And so kind of in that quick example with sellers trying to reach out to us with these very salesy messages, call to action, I'm not going to respond. I, I bet you, you're you not going to respond because we don't have the time of day to take five demos every single day uh, when, no. and say yes to these people if, if it's not top of mind for us, right? You, Tony, do you
0: know what I do? Do you know what I do to these guys on, What's that? LinkedIn? I, I pitch them back <laughs> and then I try to get them on a call, yeah. which confuses them completely because they tr- they're they trying to get me on a call, yeah. but now I'm trying to get them on a call. And then they, they typically say no, which is funny because it would have been the same phone call. It, but, exactly. Yeah. Right. A little bit of fun. Yeah. No. But yeah, it, it's fun. ridiculous, right? Yeah. It's, it, and I, I wonder the explore possible solutions. It's not just your own solution. You're saying, okay, it, you want to change this problem. He, you could, do it yourself you could roll up your sleeves you could hire this yep. other agency you could you know here's some here's some options for you and none of them are probably as good as this option but let's let's compare yeah
1: yeah and at this point it's um when the buyer is in this stage doesn't necessarily have anything to do with you as a seller you know and there's Smart. right there's if you you have yeah. to recognize and understand that because you know there's all this talk uh in, in you know various you. Know, uh, uh, B2B marketing and sales, uh, bubbles and echo chambers, if you will, talks about things like, you know, the dark funnel, a lot of people are talking about the dark funnel, which is really, you know, what you don't see, uh, as you or I, if we're looking for a particular solution, maybe we're asking our friends or coworkers or colleagues, you know, Hey, I have this need, what are you doing about it? Right. And yeah, that's real. Uh, but you have to recognize that as a, as a seller of, you know, a particular solution at your company you got to recognize the whole point of the buyer journey is understanding where the buyer is, um, in terms of the decision-making process. Right. Um, and so the reason why we don't respond to messaging like that is because we haven't been convinced of a different status quo that needs to change, um, and the urgency. Um, maybe we do have a need, um, and, but the seller is making us connect the dots. That's one of the things around messaging that, um, can be a result of understanding the the buyer journey, or if someone who does respond to a message like that, the seller just got lucky, you know, like, Oh, I, right. I, I happen to be actually evaluating a solution for this topic or to solve for this. Yeah. And you just happen to, uh, to reach out to me at the right time. Um, but you right. know, luck is not a strategy. It's not scalable. Um, so
0: yeah, no, for sure. Yeah.
1: So anyway, um, so I, I, mentioned, um, stage number three, committing, uh, sorry, exploring possible solutions. Number four is committing to a solution and generally speaking on um, these two stages, you know, the first two being convincing of the why loosening his status quotes about, um, educating on the pain or old world versus new world. Second one around, you know, committing to that change is about urgency. Um, at that point, that's where a prospect, um, is now ready. Explore possible solutions as uh, stage number three, uh, and they could be like to your point, um, trying to address it through various means. Do we build some sort of internal solution ourselves, or address it through sure. new workflows, hiring people, or what have you, right? Or do I go find you know off-the-shelf software or other products uh, that may be available in the market, or I go hire someone like an agency or whatever to to complete a particular job, right? They're exploring all these possible solutions um, to look for the best fit. And then uh, at some point in their evaluation process, that's where they commit to a solution. Um, perhaps you've been shortlisting uh, a set of uh, potential um, alternatives, options. Um, and that's essentially the fourth stage committing to a solution, right? Exploring possible solutions. And then after you do a bunch of uh, evaluation against your needs, you start committing to a solution. Generally speaking, most companies um, and sales organizations that are a little bit more mature, they're okay from that point on. I don't wanna say okay, because there's still a lot of needs uh, that can be um, addressed in terms of optimizing a sales process. Um, But I think when uh, a prospect hit that point of exploring possible solutions and committing to a solution, and they've been convinced of the why, Usually a good sales team or sales organization can, uh, move the ball forward with that prospect, um, community solutions about, you know, how do you then differentiate? Well, why is Drip better than Intercom or, you know, um, other, these other tools out there, um, or building it yourself. Right. Um, and then the yeah. last two stages, um, again, is, is very much, uh, in line with, the uh, existing sales processes with, um, Stage number five, justifying the decision, making the buyer or prospect feel good about, um, you know, saying, yes, I have a contract in front of me. What's going to make me feel good about signing that contract? And then stage six is make selection. Um, and at this point, um, usually a lot of buyers are looking for things like social proof, looking for ROI, um, you know, uh, guarantees, or at least some level of, uh, uh benchmark or understanding. It could be, um, you know, social proof in terms of not, not just customers, but also, you know, um, there was an analyst report, you know, a lot of companies, especially B2B SaaS companies, they love to try to get on, let's say, Forrester Wave or Partner Magic Quadrant. Well, most of the time, prospects don't care about that, but it could help if, you know, you're at the finish line and they're trying to uh, evaluate between you and this other company and assuming all the other uh, check marks or check boxes are, are checked off, that kind of, um, uh, asset as an example, will help the buyer justify their decision-making process, um, in terms of selecting you versus another, uh, prospect. But, um, essentially to, to back up, I think the biggest challenge is really getting to understand the beginning parts of the buyer journey and convincing them of the right. why a lot of times the, comp- uh, many companies miss that, uh, and they just jump straight right. to selling or pitching their company. Uh, and I find myself teaching a lot of founders, you know, to not just, not, there's a time and a place for that, but it's not all the time. Uh, and to teach them the, the other side, you know, of the spectrum.
0: And isn't that because, you know, as much as we might have a, an arch nemesis as a competitor, really status quo is the number one competitor. Just yeah. do nothing. I'll just,
1: absolutely. you know,
0: this sounds great and I'll do it later. Yeah.
1: You know, I'm just not going to do it. Absolutely. I think that's a really great point because, um, being on the, the selling side before and being a marketer, you know, um, we're almost trained to think, okay, how do we position ourselves better than our next uh, closest competitor? Uh, but you're right, uh, Casey, cause like the, one of the biggest competitors is the status quo, do nothing. Yeah. Um, and yes, that sometimes, um, isn't necessarily an option, um, uh, for the prospect, if they are aware of a problem and if they, you know, um, uh, are convinced that they need to address it, maybe they don't know where to look. Right. But still, um, you can never really go wrong. This is what I tell a lot of the companies I advise these days. You can't go wrong by, uh, continuing to sell the why or the whole new world, old world, uh, narrative, because at the very least, if you have someone who is actually in market and have already been convinced of those things. Um, you're still demonstrating that you're an expert in that space or that need or category. Right. right? Um, so yeah, absolutely. Great point.
0: So, I mean, lining this up, I, I, I see it solving so many problems before they happen, but what would you say is, is a current challenge you're, you're facing right now, or you're, you're seeing with a lot of the, the groups that you advise?
1: Yeah, I think, um, the challenge is that it is a lot of work, uh, meaning, um, going back to the basics of marketing and sales one one it's not necessarily about understanding what you do and sell, but it's about understanding your market. Right. Um, and so, um, even before introducing this concept of a buyer's journey, and again, like I, I, um, I'm a fan of this model from serious decisions. There's plenty of models out there, but the whole point is understanding from a buyer's perspective, how they go about making decisions. Um, and so regardless of what model or framework you use to, um, understand the buyer journey, you still need to understand your buyer. And so, um, I find myself, um, in in my day job as the advisor at this, uh, firm, Mucker Capital working with our port coast, And a lot of times I'm working with very early stage, you know, series a and earlier seed stage companies where it's a lot of it founder led sales, the found one of the founders. of so the business quote unquote, business founder is doing all the sales and marketing yeah. and all that stuff. Right. <clears throat> and they're not naturally experienced in that because, you know, maybe they're experienced in the, in their particular industry or vertical or market, but right. maybe they've never really held a sales job or marketing job. And so, um, to kind of teach them and reframe their way of thinking. Yes, they have to think about the product as they uh, put on their CEO hat. But if they um, are engaging with the market, especially early stage, you're still learning. And so how do you go about defining uh, and validating your ICP, your ideal customer profile? In, in B2B, I work with a lot of B2B companies. Uh, we do have consumer-facing uh, tech in our portfolio, but a lot of them are B2B. And so in that kind of context, ICP to me is about the type of company or organization that makes one type of organization a better fit than another, right? And it could go, uh, beyond just your standard, you know, enterprise versus s and Well, how do you define that? Is it number of employees? Is a number, uh, amount of revenue, or is it amount, how big is your typical deal size that you're talking about? Are you selling $200 a month subscriptions to, you know, uh, a GE, um, or are you selling, right. you know, um, six, seven figure contracts, um, which case that's a different approach, right? So, but, um, understanding your ICP is, uh, absolutely very critical defining what good looks like in terms of an ideal customer, um, not necessarily for you, but the pain point, um, that a particular customer set, um, is experiencing that you could solve for, right. Up at a company yeah. level. Um, and then obviously, you know, we, even though we sell to, in B2B, we sell to companies, but we're engaging with people. And so, you know, the personas and that's, we talk a lot about it, but, uh, really defining the personas in terms of the different types of people, um, and how they take part in the decision-making process, right. There's, you know, a bunch of, um, materials out there that educate, um, you know, people around, well, uh, who is who was the economic buyer or who's the and user or who's the main decision maker, or, you know, um, another right. term that I've heard is like a ratifier or gatekeeper, you know, people, let's say in legal or procurement that have nothing to do with solving the the, the, the pain point that you're solving for, but they're part of the process in, in terms of evaluation in in deciding whether or not to bring a solution on board, right? So understanding all these key personas, their roles in the decision making process, their motivations um, and their individual uh, needs or pain points, um, understanding that, uh, will help inform how you think about the buyer journey, um, and where they partake in the decision-making process. Kind of, like I said before, um, those in legal, they're not going to be at the beginning of the discussion, um, in terms of evaluation, but they have their own journey to go through. Meaning, you know, if I'm a legal counsel for a particular company, we're evaluating cybersecurity software, Right. I got to make sure that these contra, uh, the solution is not going to put our company at risk with the contract that we sign, you know, data privacy and all that stuff, that, that's specific needs that I have if I were the legal counsel. Uh, right. And so you got to understand that to help bring me through my own journey as that role or persona could make me feel good about this particular decision we're, we're about to make. Um, so, yeah, so I'd say the biggest challenge, um, has sort of a long-winded answer to your question is that it's, it's really hard work. It, there's no easy way to go about it. It's rolling up your sleeves, defining your ICP and personas. And it's not just an exercise. You just create a, you know, like a poster, you slap against the wall. It's really going deep, getting customer feedback or market feedback, doing customer discovery calls and learning and really fine tuning, um, your understanding of the market so that you can define, okay, this particular persona at this particular type of company, um, this is what they're going through when they're in the, you know, loosening the status quo stage. Um, they need to be convinced of this. Uh, they need to be educated enough that, uh, in order for them to be moved from that stage to the next in order to, you know, evaluate a uh, possible solution. So that's really the, uh, the, the hardest part of this whole thing for sure.
0: Yeah. It, it's, it's, there's no silver bullet. It's not like you just add this one piece of tech. It's, it's that work. It's that, yeah. that grind of really understanding what's going on. That makes total sense, man. Uh, my next question Who are you? Who are you? How do you know all these things? Right? Take me back. Yeah. Little Tony days. Did you know you're going to be advising startups and, and, and doing marketing for all these really big brands that a lot of us know and love? Like, take us back. What was it like?
1: Uh, well, I mean, if you were to ask me if, um, if I w- would have guessed, um, then I'd, I'd be doing what I'm doing today. I would be no. <laughs> um, right. I mean, okay. So well, I'll, I'll just kind of, uh, go through high level. So, you know, in undergrad, I studied economics.
0: No, well, no, no, we're going deep, deep? Tony. We're going to go way back. Take us back. <laughs> Little Tony days.
1: Little Tony. Okay. Well, I mean, Oh, hard back you playing
0: soccer what are you doing
1: oh well as a kid um
0: playing golf
1: you didn't No, know, i played a lot of um well as a kid i i you know this was again like i look a lot i'm i look a lot younger than i actually am uh, i was born in the 70s just to give you an idea <laughs> um nice. and so this is way before social media mobile devices you know um like right. we i grew up in that era where go outside you know my my mom would say go go out out. don't come back until 6 p.m when it's dinner time or they're not checking in on me you know every uh every hour and we're to our devices with i mean it sounds doesn't sound great but like yeah we had a bike Um, how
0: how it was man yeah
1: exactly right around the neighborhood find other kids um and you know take jumps off of uh, curbs and stuff like that and just have fun right nice um but yeah so you know like I, I grew up as a pretty quiet kid and very studious kid, you know, like a typical Asian American, uh, kid. I grew up in California in Los Angeles. I was born in, uh, Taiwan. uh, but my family moved here when, you know, I was about to start kindergarten. Um, so I grew up near the Pasadena area. If you're familiar, um, and, uh, you know, went through, um, primary school, through high school went to college down here at uh, uc san diego university of california san diego um so i I live in san diego these days Uh, we moved here about two years ago um away from san francisco silicon valley area for 15 years there um but i went to college there studied economics and chinese studies um met my future wife um at college um and isn't that what college is really all about, yeah, right? Of That's
0: how I met my future wife as this well. Right. Like <laughs> economics,
1: man. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so, um, really quick kind of chronological story, if you will. Um, I graduated, um, with these, uh, like, a, I, guess you could say a double major. I thought I wanted to get into, uh, the legal industry. So I worked for a year at the San Diego district attorney's office and their, um, wow. their child support enforcement, a bureau. Oh, so God. totally unrelated. Um, I did that for a year and thought, this is not for me. I don't like sitting in a dreary, drab building, government building, uh, and, uh,
0: chasing down right. bad guys. Exactly. Yeah and,
1: yeah. and that, that role, I mean, it was a first job out of college type of thing where I was essentially right. as a, working as a collections agent, you know, collecting for child support, um, stuff like that. So, you know, it's, it, yeah. it's exactly what you are thinking that it would be. Um, so it's not right. very fun. Um, and right around the time that I was during the first tech boom, uh, the internet tech boom. Um, and, uh, I was like, oh, super interesting. I didn't study computer science. Um, I kind of wish I had, but you know, it's okay. Um, and so I wanted to get in on that. So I went to grad school to study um, something related, uh, information systems management, you know, the next best. It's not okay. necessarily software development or anything like that, but, you know, it's very uh, kind of related. And then when I finished that degree, uh, as luck would have it, you know, um, the bubble burst, the first internet bubble burst, <laughs> no jobs anywhere. Jeez. And uh, long Man. yeah, long story short, I, I moved um, overseas to Asia um, cause my family had moved back to do a family business in real estate out in Beijing in China. Um, this was like in the, uh, late nineties uh, or so early two thousands. Um, and so I
0: moved back. To- you were speaking Chinese at home. So it was like not, not too, not too bad to be able to yeah. go over there. I or? mean,
1: even though I was born in Taiwan, um, and I won't go into this whole Taiwan, China thing. It's a whole whole thing. <laughs> um, yeah. You'll get the episode right. on
0: Spotify. Yeah. Or... that That's that for <laughs>
1: another podcast, I guess. We should
0: talk about COVID while we're at right. it and get it flagged for that Yeah, too, exactly. But that, you
1: know? No, but yeah, I, um, I was just going to say, you know, um, I, I'm more or less like a, what we call like an ABC, American born Chinese, where my primary language is English. But yeah, I did speak Chinese growing up, um, half and half, uh, so to speak. Um, And, uh, you know, part of the reason why I also studied Chinese studies in undergrad was to kind of learn about my heritage and language and all that stuff. Um, but, uh, essentially I moved back overseas. Uh, my wife or girlfriend at the time had also moved to Asia because she was going to teach uh, English at an international school. Uh, she ended up in Shanghai. I was in Beijing, which is basically a two hour flight. Um, and, uh, I worked for, um, I ended up getting a job at IBM, yep. little, little, wow. little company called IBM. Um, and that was my, uh, first job in tech and also in marketing. Um, and kind of a fun fact. One of the projects that I, the first project I worked on was helping to, um, build a business case to establish, um, at that time, what they called an application service provider, ASP offering, which is the precursor to SaaS today, you know, cause application. Right. yeah, yeah. It's basically hosted apps before, you know, cloud there, before cloud became a thing. Um, uh, we, there were these, you know, um, business parks where a lot of companies go and establish offices there. And so IBM had an offering where we had, um, hosted software applications, yeah. um, productivity software or CRM or HR, whatever. I can't remember exactly that were hosted. Sure. Um, and so that was sort of the beginnings of SAS, um, before SAS became a thing. And so I guess you could say I've been in SAS since the very inception or the very beginning. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that was a project. And then afterwards, my, my boss said, Hey, Tony, you're going to do marketing now. Um, up to that point, I took one class in school on marketing and I'm like, sure. <laughs> um, and so <laughs> that's, that was, uh, getting, um, my first exposure in marketing and, um, Man. fast forward a couple of years. I, afterwards, um, I left and, um, came back to the States, got married, uh, went to business school. I went to, uh, university, of Southern mm-hmm. California, um, you know, USC fight on go Trojans. Um, I drank the Kool-Aid there. Um, and then afterwards, <laughs> um, I started to work for startups, um, in the, okay. the San Francisco Bay area, Silicon Valley. And I'll tell you, like, obviously, um, we all know this now, but, you know, marketing at a company like IBM is so different than doing marketing at, you know, um, my first startup experience was I was employee number four, uh, first marketing hire, we were about 600k ARR at that point bootstrap company, uh, which also meant that I had, uh, it was very little budget as the marketing lead at the company to do marketing. Um, and so that was a completely different experience, uh, than when I was quote unquote doing marketing for, uh, for IBM, right. Um, not just in terms of budget, but, um, how we think about and strategize going to market and, and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, so after I finished my MBA program, um, basically spent the next 15 years or so in Silicon Valley working for a lot of different startups, um, I've Man. probably been a part of six, seven startups in house. And, uh, you know, unfortunately not all of them survived because not every startup, uh, succeeds. We, a couple of them, but we ran out of the runway, uh, ran out of funding. And so we sure. had a close up shop, you know, not uncommon. That's the whole nature of startups. Um, a few still operate to this day. Uh, and then there were a few that I was fortunate enough, uh, to be a part of and they eventually got acquired, um. The most notable one probably would be a company called Mintigo. It's a Sequoia Capital-backed company in predictive analytics, predictive marketing. Um, at the time we competed against companies. Pretty in-
0: sure I got a Mintigo t-shirt or socks I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: So, you know, I'm sure you're familiar, but, you know, at the time we can, uh, other players in the space were Lattice Engine, uh, Sixth Sense, yeah. EverString, um, you know, those guys, um, and, uh, yeah, I joined them early on and, uh, uh, was with them for quite a bit of time. Um, and then afterwards I, um, uh, joined another company and, um, a couple of other companies afterwards and eventually started doing my own consulting work, rational CMO, whatever you want to call it. Um, cause I just wanted to see what it's like to work for myself, even though Makes That's sense. not really the case because when you're a consultant, you have multiple bosses. <laughs> Um And then, uh, yeah. And then just about a year ago, I joined this VC firm called Mucker Capital um, as their in-house growth advisor, which just basically means um, I get to work with all of our, uh, not all, because we have over 400 in our portfolio because the VC firm has been around for a dozen years, 13, 14 years or so. Um, those that we invested in, you know, maybe eight or nine years ago, they've already progressed. They don't need help on, uh, from, from me. They already have their own, own go to market team, CMO, CRO, whatever. Um, I tend to spend most of my time with the earlier stage companies, those that are still either pre-revenue or have scaled to some level of ARR, but, um, are, were pretty much very founder led driven, um, activities. And so they're trying to figure out how to, how do we scale this thing? How do we get from, you know, 500K ARR to a million and then to 5 million and then to 10 million. So, um, that's essentially my day job, uh, where I advise these companies on how to do that. And every company is different. Um, we have a lot of B2B SaaS, but even B2B SaaS is, you know, such a widespread, um, category. There's vertical based SaaS. We have, uh, companies focused on, let's say construction management or the CPA firm, uh, and then we've got more horizontal type of applications. We've got enterprise software, um, selling, you know, six figure type of deals to, you know, small P, uh, like very much PLG drip in not to say PLG can't be used for, um, enterprise. That's right. like another topic we could talk about at some point in the future, <laughs> um, right. but yeah, so everything uh, in between, and then we do have some consumer facing technology, like FinTech, health care, um, stuff like that. Um, so that's my day job, and then our, uh, in the beginning uh, of this uh, show, you um, also mentioned that um, I, uh, on the side, sort of like a nights and kids type of thing, I I caught the whole startup bug uh, years ago. So now I'm also starting my own startup uh, with a couple of co-founders. We're all kind of moonlighting this, bootstrapping for as long as we can, um, in this company called Rev Optica, um, and our main chal- challenge that we're solving for is the notion of the buyer journey. So, um, uh, that's why I feel so strongly about it is because, you know, I've seen and experienced this, this challenge of understanding the buyer journey, even from my own, um, needs and pains points operating as a go-to-market person, marketing sales, uh, what have, you know, rev ops even. Um, and, uh, it's just been a challenge that I was never able to solve for efficiently, um, when I was in-house. So that's a a product that we're still in the process of building an initial minimal viable product, MPP. Hopefully it'll be, you know, uh, available soon. But yeah, um, it's good times all around, lots of learning. Um, Even though I'm advising a lot of these companies, I'm learning myself um, as, you know, a founder, but also um, I consider myself, you know, like a lifelong learner. I'm not. Um, Contrary to your great intro for me, you know, um, I, there's a lot of other really smart people that I learn from all the time, um, and you know, like part of the benefit of my job as an advisor at this, uh, BC firm is I learn from others and I kind of, uh, teach, uh, our portfolio companies and not to say that I kind of claim all the credit for myself. No, but you know, it's just part of the work where, um, oh yeah. If so I'm not an expert on how to do, um, you know, Shopify go to market. We have a couple of Shopify companies, okay? Like companies built on Shopify. Yeah. Well, I've never really done that before, but let me go and just help you figure out right, if there's certain concepts that, um, uh, you know, can be applied across board, like by your journey, uh, but specific implementations for how you scale growth for a Shopify type of company. Well, let's work together. Uh, let me go and find another resource, or here's what I learned in terms of best practices from, a. uh, person who's done go to market for a long time. This is what I recommend after learning a little bit more about your industry or your market. So, yeah. So that's sort of the, uh, the gambit of my life.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. man, man. It's, uh, you have been just, so when you're working with startups and you're advising them and this is not your first rodeo, you're, you're actively doing it now. You're in the fight with them and you've been, and you know, six, six other ones. So, yeah. I could see how you you could just have this wealth of knowledge. So my next question is a bit of a hypothetical question for you. Okay. Are you, are you ready Let's for this? do it. All right. You see, Tony, I may have a time machine in New Hampshire. So let's say you come visit, right? Get some meetings in Boston with some 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 mucker folks, uh, you know, some investments and whatnot, and come visit me in New Hampshire, and we'll get some beer and some lobster, and then we'll go play with a time machine in the backyard, right? Okay. So you know it's covered in a tarp and acorns and stuff, and so we we play on this time machine. And it goes back in time, and you get to visit yourself four days after you graduated with that undergrad that economics and Chinese studies degree, right? You get to meet that version of you uh-huh. and you can have a convo. You can have a conversation, talk to yourself and say anything you want. What would you tell yourself?
1: <laughs> Other than go buy stock and Google and uh, <laughs> Netflix and Amazon <laughs> uh, keys. Tesla. Right. Exactly. Places.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: what would I tell myself? Um, you know, I've never been a person who uh, dwells on regret. It's just, just my nature. Um, and so, you know, there's nothing I would change per se about, you know, my past, um, if anything, uh, I kind of alluded to this before, um, if anything, I would say maybe spend some time, uh, more time on paying attention to, uh, classes like statistics <laughs> or consider, uh, maybe, uh, studying a little bit more computer science, mostly because that's like a lot of what I do today. And not to say that I'm developing yeah. software. And, and, uh, you know, I don't think I would end up ever being a good software developer, but just kind of getting that, um, uh, understanding and hindsight would have, um, helped, uh, in a lot of different ways. And certainly as I'm thinking about, you know, in the process of building my own company, yeah, I do have a CTO co-founder who's the builder. Um, uh, and so like, if I were to, if I had studied computer science back then, or, you know, whatever, uh, that probably would have made things a little bit easier or faster. Um, but also kind of what I just mentioned, uh, about studying to sti- statistics statistics, <laughs> um, which is, uh, a lot of t- what I've realized over the years, um, I didn't realize this as much early on in my marketing career, but certainly I learned what more about what I didn't know, um, understanding, uh, how to do, uh, marketing growth, sales, whatever you want to call it, uh, just you know, growing a company, taking a data-driven approach is absolutely critical. Um, there's a yeah. funny saying that, uh, maybe you've heard of, you know, a lot of companies think of the marketing department as the arts and crafts, uh, department, which is not necessarily like there is art to it and there's science. You have to have both, right. Uh, right. Art. You gotta have both. Yeah. Like it's not just about pretty logos or cool design, how to, your next trade show booth <laughs> or your website, you know, that's all part of the work, but. You know, um, one of the key things is understanding from a data perspective, you know, what's working and what's not, and that's an age old problem. You know, the whole, uh, topic of attribution, um, mm-hmm. attribution. is another one of those things. And I, one of the startups I worked at was an attribution company, uh, um, uh, focusing on selling attribution to consumer brands. Um, and so I have a lot of, um, dependence on attribution. Um, and I know you had guests in the past talking. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think, um, going back, uh, and telling myself, you know, maybe just pay a little bit more attention on, uh, some of these things and to kind of, uh, gain, uh, you know, a deeper understanding or set, Uh, I think that would, um, would help me, would have helped me, uh, make less mistakes, uh, throughout my career. Um, and yeah, that's just one of the things, you know, like, um, learning from your own mistakes is a great, um, way to learn, but also learning from other people's mistakes is a better way. So you don't, you know, um, have to experience the pain point. Um, just throughout yeah. my, my career, I've kind of, I you know, learned from both areas. Um, certainly made my fair share of mistakes, but also why I consider myself a lifelong learner, always, kind um, of talk to other people who are smarter than me and subject matter experts is so that I can learn from them without having to go through, you know, certain challenges and pain points uh, to get to that point myself. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah,
0: no, a powerful answer. Do you think uh, the young tones would listen? <laughs> um, I would think so. I was always a pretty, yes. uh,
1: you know, like um, n- not, uh, not a rebellious kid. <laughs> That's not the... right. So, it's me
0: from the future. Right. You know, you just listen to your yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Cool. <laughs> Might be a little bit of skepticism, but
0: Right, you have a little password right You're like hey you remember that night on well, yeah exactly right yeah exactly <laughs> You're like how did you know that right. you are me yep. <laughs> awesome man dude well where can people connect with you they want to reach out either connect with you um yeah all the different ways right because of what you've said today or mucker or yeah your app tell, tell us where we can go
1: yeah so um the best way to um uh, Reach me is probably through LinkedIn. Um, I'm less active in terms of posting these days. This is something that I should um I keep reminding myself I should do more of, but there's just a lot of things um that I that tends to um take my focus. But yeah, LinkedIn. Um there's a lot of Tony Yangs out there. It's a pretty common name. Um so I've been using sort of like uh my, I don't know what you call it, like an internet call sign for ever since college. It's tones, t-o-n-e-s eight one zero. Um, and I use that for my LinkedIn, for my Twitter. Um, I'm even less active on Twitter these days. Um, but yeah, so certainly people could connect with me on LinkedIn, happy to connect, um, chat and get to meet new people. Um, yeah, I mean, my, my role at Mucker, I'm not on the investment side. Um, you could almost think of my role as sort of like customer success, (laughs) um, where, you know, once a, a company signs a term sheet with us. Then they get handed off to me, and I work with them closely to make sure they grow. I mean, that's a very uh, yeah, simple way of looking at it. And so, um, I get a lot of people find out that I work at this VC firm, Commercio Capital, and they're like, "Hey, hey, here's our deck. Give me some money." <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, I'm like, <laughs> "Here's a deck. That's, that's cool." You know, I'll try to point you guys in the right direction. But you know, if anybody who's looking for funding, just go to our website. There's fun, ways to, yeah. to submit and pitch your company. But yeah, feel free to ping me. Totally. Um, but yeah.
0: And once you get in, then you get to start yeah. working with you. Sir. Exactly. That's yeah, right.
1: yeah. And then lastly, you know, if people are interested in checking out this little startup I'm working on. Again, we're very early stage. It's called Rev Optica, um, and it's more focused on um, the initial use cases around uncovering the buyer journey not necessarily about the decision-making process because that's a little bit hard to get into people's heads, but there are signals that you can look for. Um, and that's one of the things that we're trying to uncover, which is trying to figure out, okay, all the things that are happening at this one particular account that you have a deal with, you know, what is, um, the life cycle or the lifespan, um, actually that's not the right word. Um, the, all the things that happen with, you know, maybe you're talking to eight people at this particular company and they're evaluating a deal. What, uh, what's everything that happened with these eight people um, uh, with you, with your sales reps, your marketing um, over time? And so we're starting to build that. Again, this is just one of those um, things where uh, it was a pain point that I've experienced. Now, you know I'm trying to build something to solve for that pain point because I couldn't find anything good in the market. So you, have, you can go check that out and reach, reach out to me there as well.
0: Perfect, man. We'll put links in the show notes. People can click, click, click right through. They don't even have to type it out. Yeah. Yeah. love it yeah uh, good stuff man well thank you so much for coming on here I, I feel i feel like we just got a masterclass in in disrupting the idea of just the nothing but the funnel but really thinking about the buyer's journey so thank you for coming on no here.
1: thank you for having me casey and, and uh, thank you for the kind words uh I, I i hope you're not like overselling uh but you know because i've listened to s- <laughs> several episodes and you got some you know great people have had some great people in the, in the past so um Consider myself lucky to be uh, counted in that group. Um, but yeah, this was fun. This was awesome. And uh, yeah, happy to do it again in the future if you like. So. Great.
0: Yeah, we'll need to because there's so many things to talk about. We've scratched the surface on a few of these <laughs> things. We could we could spin that's the my my whole trouble, right? Is like we scratch the surface. I'm like, oh, that's a whole episode yeah. right there. We could go down, and <laughs> yeah. that's another one. So uh, it's all about picking the battles. Uh, but brilliant, man. Yeah. And for those listening, if you learn something, and I freaking know you did, because I literally have two pages of notes front and back over here then share this with someone else. One person, three people, 9,000 people, whatever the number is, that's thought leadership. Good, good information into other people's hands. And with that, Tony, thanks again, sir. Awesome. Thank you so
1: much, Casey. Take care.
0: All right, everyone. This has been another crazy episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will see you all next time.